In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss our major takeaways from the Sixers' 4-in-1 road trip. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined once again by Rich Hoffman, who is now back east on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. It's it's good to be home. It's a uh, it's a weird little stretch here. I mean, as much as we talked about how brutal the month of March is for the Sixers, and it is brutal, weird stretch here where yeah. you have like two games at home in like a six day span. Yep. We even got a practice in. They never practice at this time of year. Get, they got a practice in that we got to go to. They're going to get two yeah. during this span. And then after that, no more. But yeah, it, it's Meanwhile, a they had little... two different stretches very recently where they played three games in four nights. Two different stretches. It's been a packed schedule. But a weird little respite for them where they get, like I said, they get all this rest and then they get Portland and Washington. You know, it's... Yep. No, I mean, they played uh, since the All-Star break. I think seven of their eight games since the All-Star break has been against teams with winning records. The the one that wasn't was the Pacers. Uh, those teams combined to score about 635 points, but the Sixers <laughs> scored more, and that is all that matters. Really, that was the theme of the road trip. You know, we always said throughout November and December when they were winning games, yeah, the schedule's going to get tough, and they're going to have to start playing defense. Well, the schedule did get tough, they might not have to really play defense because they have been in just shootout after shootout after shootout. Three straight games where they gave up 130 plus points. They won <laughs> two of those games. One game where they gave up 143 in regulation and won. They have been absolutely, completely fantastic on offense. And I mean fantastic against some really good defensive squads. Memphis. Really good defensive squad. What are they, like, second, I think, in the league in defense? Bucks, the best defense in the league. Boston is top five, I think. Or no, Miami's Cle- top five. Boston is four. So my, Boston is top five. That's how that works. Cleveland in the game before the break, too. Yep. Cleveland is, what, three, I think? So they have yeah. played legitimately every top five defense here over the last nine games. They have won, what, I think... If that's six games, they have won, I think, four of those two games. Or four of those six games. I'm on top of Four of those two would be very (laughs) That would be impressive. Uh, And they are just putting up points left and right. Joel Embiid is dominant, completely took it to the, I don't even remember how many times, defensive player of the year in Minnesota in a game (laughs) that wasn't even really close. How many does he have? Do you know off the top of your head? A lot. He's got a lot of points. No, no, no. The defensive player of the year awards is Rudy have. You remember how many he's won? It 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 doesn't matter. So Embiid is dominating everyone in his path. Didn't really dominate Brooke Lopez, but did enough to help them get the win. He's got three deep boys. Okay. Feels like a bunch more, but there's some Dre ones mixed in there. Tyrese Maxey is back, both in the starting lineup and in the scoring column. He is averaging nearly 27 points per game over the last five games, or that last of that five-game road trip. James Harden is playing the best basketball he's played in a Sixers uniform. And I guess just taking a step back, looking at this four to one, four and one road trip, looking at really all of the games after the All-Star break, what's your major takeaway here? 
Things are good? <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. I mean, I know people come here for that type of high-level analysis. You know, we were joking today at the Sixers practice facility. They have all of those banners up for division championships. You know, they have the, the two title banners up. Look, I I was only half joking those when banners, I said this. banners, by the way, do, do you remember that, that, that um, there was that story where they had put tracking cameras all over the practice facility and the basketball arm of, of the Sixers didn't talk to the business arm and they put the banners right in front of like their primary camera trackers and they had to like completely redesign it. I love No, I don't remember that, but yeah. that's funny. No, I love, I love that era of, of Sixers management. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I think that they shouldn't put a banner up for going four and one on that road trip, but it, it was pretty good. Like yeah. if they wanted to put, you know, a little piece of paper on one of those walls saying four and one on one of the hardest road trips you'll ever see. I wouldn't be totally against it. That Don't build impressive. a statue, but if you do, you're not going to complain either. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you had the world's longest back to back, uh, going from Miami to Dallas, which you have, you, you now personally will complain about look, because <laughs> you had to suffer it. Look, you, <laughs> I just, you think Miami and Dallas are closer to each other when you, <laughs> Are a little kid taking geography or just kind of looking at the map. No, man, that's a three hour flight. That is, that was the worst back to back I've ever seen. And I will say, after the Sixers lost that game in Dallas, in which they gave up a billion threes, they weren't like in the worst mood ever. Yeah, I would you say. understand I think, that one. I think they, at least, first off, they were staying over in Dallas that night. So clearly they were, uh, you know, going to go out, you know, at, at either as a team or, or with each other, those type of things or uh, individually, whatever. But I think there was just a, an understanding of like, that's one of the worst back-to-backs we've ever played yeah. travel-wise. It's brutal. Doc didn't call it a schedule loss this time, but he, he would have been within his right to do so probably. Yeah. Well, and especially too, when you go four and one on that road trip, guess what? You can retroactively say schedule yeah. loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they, they had that big fourth quarter win over the Bucks, which we talked about last podcast. They came out and they swept a back-to-back against the Pacers and the Wolves. Again, the Pacers win was maybe not a lot of defense, but they scored more points. And they completely, you know, like that game against Wolves wasn't close there in the second half. And the Wolves, you know, they've come back down to earth, but they're still above 500. They're still a respectable team. That stretch they've gone through with how packed that was and the level of competition like you said, four and one was certainly exceeding expectations by a significant degree. And we can sit here and nitpick and you, you and I'd like to nitpick at times, or maybe we don't like to, which is within our nature, sort of also within our job. We are covering a team, both good and bad. No complaints. Uh, 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 results are no complaints. Um, I guess we'll get into some of the details, but that was a, that was a really good, I, really the offense is just blowing me away. I'm, 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 I don't want to say stunned because I, we knew they'd be good, but, they look so much better. Well, and that was the question we had before the year. Is this finally the year we see a top five offense from these guys? And I think both of us, even in our negative state, said, eh, I think this has a chance. Yeah. I, I think this with a better Harden, with year what three of Maxi. Like I think they had just snuck into the top five, didn't they? I have both of them up right now. Uh, they are overall on the year. They are the number five offense okay. in the league. And by the way, remember when the Boston Celtics were just running laps around the entire league? Is this one of the greatest offenses of all time? They are 
117.8 per 100 Boston. Yeah. The Sixers are 117.7. The Sixers are going to pass them shortly. Now the Celtics are going to pass them the other way for sure if they already haven't, which they have. They have. Sorry. Yep. Yes. Sorry. You mentioned they were top five. So they, they are going to keep going in that direction, I would say. But the Sixers offense has been tremendous, as you said. And it's almost like you want to just, for the Sixers' sake, just freeze everybody right now. Tell them that it's the playoffs so they can start trying on defense, unlike the Indiana game. And just just roll with, with what they're doing right now because the three main cogs, all three of them, are clicking on all cylinders. You have Embiid. It was, I think, that Tuesday game against Minnesota. First off, it's a game the Sixers, really from a, a schedule standpoint, had no business winning. Minnesota was rested. The West stinks, by the way. The fact that that is a team that's clearly in the mix for you know, the six, the five seed, the West stinks. The Sixers are so much better than those teams. And they laid the smackdown on them. And the reason they laid the smackdown was that Joel played. I mean, that was that just a chef, yep. chef's kiss basketball. And, you know, I know he had 40 points the night before in Indiana. He got 40 points by being asleep half the game against Indiana. There, there was no way he was going to score under 40 points. Like, I, I think he reasonably Indiana because they give up open shots to everybody. It's not like a Charlotte type team where Joel scores 55 points kind of easily. If he wanted to, and he wanted to press the issue and they were actually playing defense, like literally could have scored 65 points in that game. It was so easy. I mean, and by the way, on the list of centers, we, we need to put together a full list of centers who are good, who are absolutely useless against Joel Embiid. I think Jared Allen is is one of them. But Miles Turner, I mean, my God, he just he just fouls him every three seconds. And Miles Turner is a pretty good player. Like he got an extension this year, d- deservedly so. A, a good, useful player. The archetype you're looking for from centers, a rim protector and three point shooter, just completely useless against Joel. And then against Minnesota, against the defensive player of the year, as you said, it was just I thought it was one of Embiid's most intelligent performances I've ever seen. Yeah. Now, like, it helped that he was making his threes. But against Gobert, he said, okay, you know, like, I think he, there were a couple shots earlier in the game where Gobert affected him and, you know, blocked his shot or whatever. And then, then Joel said, okay, I'm taking this guy out to the perimeter and I'm schooling him this way. And he made threes. He made great passes yep. from the perimeter. And then... They, you know, they switch Gobert off of him. They do the Jokic thing where I forget who, who did they put on Embiid? I guess it well, was. They had Nas Reed on him for Nas a Reed. while. They had Nas Reed in the second quarter, but I think they put somebody else. I don't know. Well, I know I saw it, McDaniels on him at one point. That might've been a switch. Um, Slow-mo, I think, defended him for a couple of possessions. Like they had a bunch of smaller guys on him. When he got all of those other guys, he said, okay, I'm going to just put you in the basket. Yeah. And. That's what he did, and it was terrific, and it was a deserved old-school load management game. And it was cool that he got to do it on TNT. And I think, you know, the national media the past couple of days, all they're talking about is is the MVP race over because this guy is playing insane basketball. And, you know, I, I don't know if the MVP race is over. It kind of feels like Jokic is just too far ahead from the Bontemp straw poll. But, like, deserved buzz for Joe. He's been terrific. Leading the league in scoring again. Would that be what the third year in a row as a, a, a center? 
uh, the most efficient season of his career. And the Sixers offense, which is the highest it's been. Is this the highest that's been ranked in the Embiid era? Has there been yeah. a season where they finished? I don't. I can't remember them finishing. It was. It was eighteen, nineteen. I think the the highest they got was like eighth or ninth. Yeah, they are, dude. They're. I, I'm just looking at it right now. They're they're fifth. But I, I tweeted this out the other day. Since yeah. Harden got back, they are first, man. Yep. They are freaking first. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I think the one I tweeted out was since uh, January first. They are the first ranked or second ranked offense. I think just like percentage points behind the Kings and the 20th ranked defense, which I suppose we'll get to at some point in this podcast is sort of the other side of the coin. But I mean, that was a great game to show Joe's growth because like you said, when he had Gobert on him, he, t- he went to the outside, made his jump shots, became a little more of a passer. When he had someone smaller, he took him under the rim and you really like, I wrote about this the other day where, you know, against, and I think we talked about it on the last podcast where you could see him sort of like forcing his way inside against Brooke Lopez, trying to post him up, forcing some bad shots. Whereas now he's so confident in that mid range jumper, so confident in his face up game that he can, regardless of which kind of defender he has on him and what that defender's strengths and weaknesses are, he has more than enough to go to where if that jumper is going, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are or what kind of defender you are or, or how you approach him or how you double him. He's going to get his shots. He's going to get his points. He's going to get really good looks at the basket, or he's going to get really good looks for his teammates. And when you combine that with the growth that James Harden has made, and maybe now with Tyrese Maxey finding a little bit of comfort level in his role, they're a really, really tough team to guard. A borderline impossible. And I think James Harden is looking much better. Another thing I wrote about the other day, he just has so much more burst. He's getting into the paint. He's forcing rotations. And when James Harden forces rotations, good things tend to happen. And you combine that with the two-man game, and they're just, there's really, and even the games that they've lost, like the Boston games, even some of the games where maybe Joe didn't shoot great, they have a plan of attack offensively every night against almost every level of competition. And it's really fun to watch. It's something I don't think I've ever really been able to say at any point in Joe's career or in the modern era of Sixers basketball. Even the Dallas game where I think both of us can admit they weren't really in that game. It, it never really yeah. felt like they were in the game because their defense was just getting shredded. They were doubling Luca at the three-point line, and Dallas was getting wide-open threes in four-on-three situations. That still was not a blowout. Like that, that game was within 10 points at the end. Their offense is too good to get blown out. It, 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 they are at that point where, sure, the Sixers can blow out teams, but their offense is too consistent yeah. and too good that they, you can't beat them by 15 to 20 points right now. You can't. And we're, at, we're at a point now where I am almost 100% confident they will be able to succeed in the playoffs. Like if barring an elbow to the eye socket, which you never freaking know with this, this, this club, you never know, or barring, you know, an Achilles or something, whatever. I expect them to be dominant offensively in the playoffs. I do think what they're doing now will translate to a high degree in the postseason. Again, I don't know if I've ever really said that. I think there are at times, I think last year I probably would have said that about Joe specifically, and then he did get that elbow to the eye socket. Mm-hmm. But as an entire team, I've never been able, I've never been more confident offensively in what they're doing translating to the playoffs. And I, that's a, a massive deal. A massive deal. There's nothing fluky about the pick and roll, and then if you switch it, it's so simple. Joel, Joel it's so James, simple. Yeah. two of the best isolation players in the league. I think 
you wrote about that today and it's something that I'm probably going to do something on, you know, in the next week or so. James Harden being elite isolation player again, huge deal. You you can't switch either end of that thing anymore. Yep. So I, you know, it's funny when you look at those isolations too, as well, I'm looking at the league's top, top offenses. And I think your point about your confidence in this translating the playoffs is a good one because I look down the list. I look at Sacramento. They've been the best offense in the league. Most fun team in the league to watch. I like the Sixers offense translating over that in the playoffs. Yeah. I just do. I, you know, I ball movement, the Aaron Fox, Sabonis. It's great. I can't wait to watch them in the playoffs because they've taken care of business the entire year. Their home crowd is going to be insane. I am so pumped to see that team. But like, come on, jo- Joel and James going to be better. Denver is probably the one team that's above them that I trust their offense in the playoffs, and that is due to respect for Jokic and because of the discussion this week, I'm just going to leave that one be. Uh, the Knicks, do I trust the Knicks offense more than the Sixers in the playoffs? No, no, no. No, no I don't. I don't trust Julius Randle. Isolation ball. I'm sorry. And Jalen Brunson, awesome. And the Knicks have turned into a very good team this year. Uh, looks like going to be a a great 4-5 series whoever they play, and could be the Sixers because the Cavs have a very easy schedule. The Celtics, their offense has stunk for a while. I mean, they got off yeah. to that crazy start, and so much of their offense is based on our guys need to shoot 45% from three because they don't have dudes to put pressure on the rim. So I don't buy them. So it's basically like Denver, Dallas, Phoenix, Six, Sixers, healthy. and Phoenix too as well. They're not on they're top not of this list. They're not because they haven't had... Durant but they are enough. they're a different animal although they're not gonna have Durant for a couple of weeks here too yeah. so yeah but I, I agree the the fully fleshed out version so you just like look down at the list and you say I like the Sixers compared to all these teams in the playoffs I, I like what they're doing translating to half court locked in scouting report intense basketball I, I think it's gonna work so it's good I guess we should probably talk quickly here about Tyrese, just because he was in such a funk, they put him back into which game was it on the? It was Dallas, right? But they put him back in the starting lineup. For mm-hmm. uh, it looks like that is here to stay. Which I think we, you know, we talked about this maybe a week before the change happened. Uh, we thought it was the right move to put him back in the starting lineup. Looks like that's here to stay. He has responded in very impressive fashion: twenty six point six points, uh, three point two assists. Nearly 60% from the field and 57.6% from three on almost seven attempts per game over the course of that road trip. Uh, he was fantastic. Any other notes outside of he runs fast and makes shots? Kind of like, like we said last note. year, Tyrese, do the score points thing. Yeah. He's, he's really good. It's, it's really cool when he does that. And for the first time in his career, six straight 20 plus point games, which, uh, to to get that level of consistency, normally I would say with a stat like that, ah, that's kind of an arbitrary benchmark for him to have to hit. He's probably had stretches like this in his career where maybe he scored 18 or 19 points but also went off. To be that consistent, though, like for him, he doesn't need to score 35 points a game with how Joel and James are playing. But Tyrese needs to be heard from every night. The, the defense needs to feel him on a consistent basis, and that's... I would say 20 points per game is uh, is accomplishing that. Real, real only quick. He only at 23 in the previous 12 games, to your point. Yeah. Uh, 
real quick, I, I just wanted to make this point because that Indiana game was one of the most absurd games I've ever <laughs> attended. And Doc, to his credit afterwards, I asked him, can you take anything from that? And he said, no, no. I just said to everybody, let's get on the plane. And, uh, <laughs> and that's how you look at it. We talk about Boston and Milwaukee and, and playoff matchups. Indiana is the worst playoff matchup for the or regular season matchup, excuse me, for the Sixers possible. Because all they do is run the ball up the court, play fast, shoot threes, and against most teams that get back on defense and do the little things, <laughs> that shit doesn't work. Yeah. But against the Sixers, it's like yeah. a field day with, for Halliburton. And Halliburton is a terrific offensive player as well. But you look at Indiana, they are one of the worst offensive teams in the league. And against the Sixers, I'm just like, well, okay, every time these two teams play and they're going to play in another week, they're just trading shots. Like yeah. It's like, who's, <laughs> yeah. who's going to have a better shooting night? Which is a yeah. little risky against a team with Halliburton and Buddy Heald, but... I don't know. I mean, the Sixers scored so unbelievably easy against them. And in the middle of that game, I was just thinking, man, is Harden going to break Scott Skiles' record for assists in a game? Like, it, it really felt like he could have. Like, they, yeah. What, did he end up with 20? He only ended up with 20, which was... Only. <laughs> well, it was funny because he afterwards he was like, yep, Tyrese, missing layups, just brutal. You know, could have set my career and the Sixers high, which is 21 for... Uh, he had earlier this year. For both of them. And he's tied, I think, with Iverson and maybe maybe uh, Wilt, of course, I believe, has a 21-assist game in there. Probably that season where he's just passing all the time. Yep. Uh, that's like the example of if you throw goofy defenses at Harden, it's just like it doesn't work. Like, no. it's just, yeah. He's just going to tear you apart with his passing. Uh, and that game. Anyway, that- that's, that's my point. That just You just trade bit, bit baskets in that game to an insane degree. And I don't think Indiana can do that with any other team in the league except the Sixers. Yeah. Which, yeah. And that was a game, along with Dallas, where you see Joe's regular season defense, we'll call it, come out. And when that <laughs> happens, this team just has no real chance. Uh, he was not engaged defensively in that game at all. Uh, and you could say the same thing with Dallas. Dallas was completely understandable, somewhat understandable because of the circumstances with travel. Indy was a disappointing effort, but they did score enough points to prevail. Uh, and then they brought a much better effort there against the, uh, the Wolves on the next night. So it's just the classic Sixers though. You you just can't predict this team because normally you would say, okay, tough travel back to back 140. You would give up the second night. No, no, no. We're going to give up 143 the first night and then we're going to play awesome defense the next night and completely shut these guys down. They don't make any sense, but the end product is more often than not. They have more points than the other team. Yep. As you all know, by now we've teamed up with bet MGM this season We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL, Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 
U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, the, the other note about the Indiana game that I, th- I thought was interesting the only time they got like three or four stops in a row the entire game was when Paul Reed was in. I I like that McDaniels, Paul yep, Reed, me too. D House okay. lineup. I and that's something we probably need to talk about a little bit because I know we had started mentioning it when George was struggling. Like, is it time to get D House some minutes, even though he's been terrible? He looks like he's somebody who you can throw in in a pinch, maybe, you know, and I, I think he's somebody who he certainly fits the switching identity, the chaos identity yep. on the the backup units. I'd like to see more from him uh, in the uh, in the final weeks, just to see what you have there. Just tie it to Harden's minutes. Like I don't want to see yeah. any D house with like Shake running the point. Like no, no, we don't need that. I did get a little <laughs> chuckle. We we came into practice today, and he was legitimately practicing his step back corner threes, which is something <laughs> that you know he's going to bust out in the game for completely unnecessary reasons. To be fair, it seemed like everyone was practicing their step back threes, but he has a, a particular particular affinity for them. But yeah, no, I'm I'm okay giving him another shot here in the rotation, especially with Matisse gone. You kind of need that more wing focused, quote unquote defender, quasi defender. Give him a shot. Just ties minutes to Harden. He, he needs to be like, I think something like thirty percent of his minutes before he was taken out of the rotation were with Harden. That's way too low of a number. That has to be much, much, much higher. Uh, and I'm not saying that Harden's going to fix him, but he certainly makes him, he accentuates his strengths, and you need that with somebody as flawed as Daniel House. That is my, my thing with him. Harden, Harris, Reed, McDaniel's house, that's, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that in the playoff series. And I I, I would like to see them switch more and I know Doc probably doesn't want to reveal his hands, but like you saw it against the Miami, the, the one game where they switched a lot. Like House completely missed the switch. Like he just he he was not on the same page as I forget who was running into the screen, uh, but one person was switching. House was sticking, and he you know raised his hand up at the end of the play. Like my bad. Yeah, it was a miscommunication, but I think part of that is because they play that style so infrequently, and because House plays so infrequently too. I would At like least he raised his hand up. No, he 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 got it. He got. I mean, it looked pretty bad because it was a wide open layup. But yeah, because you you know who doesn't raise his hand up when he blows a switch, and he blows a switch more than most people. James Harden. So yeah. the uh, and Harden and Maxi communications are awful on switches. Awful. It li- and at least when Maxi screws up. Literally everybody yells at him, so maybe he might not raise his hand, but he's also yelling at the other person too. Like, no, yeah. it was your fault. And and I'm sure for him at least. I think it's a little more excusable for him because there is an element I'm sure in those switch games where it's like, okay, if Tyrese is on the floor, yeah, don't switch him. Don't switch him if possible. Yeah. So yeah. there's probably more communication needed. 
in Harden's case, it's bad though, because it's like, all right, you actually are capable of doing this at a decent level and you still screw it up a lot. And look, I think that's the, the other point here where I mentioned that they are first since Harden came back. They are 16th in the NBA defensively since he came back. Like you said, if you take that all the way to the new year, they are 20th in defense. And there's an element of when I watch that Indiana, Indiana game, are you going to try harder? Are you yeah. going to flip the switch? Because, look, I, I I can't really complain too much. Like, you're winning these games. You're relatively healthy as a team. Like, I, I think most of this is good. But there has to be an understanding that you need to play better defense to yeah. actually, like, beat those teams in the playoffs. Yeah. No, their defense is, more often than not, it is somewhere from garden variety bad to downright awful. And I do think there's an element where you're going to get them more. Like I said, when when Joe is having a regular season game like against the Pacers, it can look really, really, really bad. But even when Joe is locked in, very rarely does this look really, really good defensively. Like You just don't see very many dominant defensive games from the squad right now. And I thought the Bucks game was a pretty good example of that because they were they were locked in in terms of effort and focus. And they still had so many breakdowns defensively that they gave up a 40 spot in the third and in the third quarter and made it real tough to come back from. And again, they were able to against what is now the, the one seed in the East and the best defense in the league. So you give them a lot of credit. But I do worry a little bit. Like, do I expect, you know, if they're operating at like a 20th ranked defense, do I expect them to, to play better defensive playoffs? Yes. And I expect Harden not to give full effort, but to give three quarters effort if he's giving half effort right now. Yes, I I, I but there's just so many players who either are, you know, you can pick on them or they're just not, their awareness is not good enough that I have pretty serious concerns and not serious. in like this team can't compete because we're seeing right now they can compete against any team in the league. But when you start talking about having to win Boston, Milwaukee, Phoenix, three, like win all three of those series, you've got to be pretty dialed in on both sides of the court. Uh, And I would like to see a little more evidence that they can be dialed in defensively more often. It just hasn't been there. Hasn't been there. How many points do you think Harden just gives to the other team on a, a normal basis? Like, do you think it's like six to eight, maybe, where he's just handing them to the other team with a breakdown? <laughs> it's bad. And it, it's bad. And, and I think that's what we're talking about. That needs to get cleaned up. And I'm not saying that the other Make team won't get those three points. or four. Yeah. Well, it, it, it could end up being six or eight. But you can't hand make them work for it. Yeah, you can't hand it to them. You you actually have to start the possession by saying, "Okay, they're actually going to have to score over me," instead of just letting people. Like at the end of that Pacers game, (laughs) they're up like seven, and Halliburton and Heald are on a fast break. Harden just Ole, go ahead, score. I think closeouts crack me up. They crack me up now in the regular season when they barely matter. It might not crack me up in the playoffs, but they are the most comically bad half effort. Like, I'm just doing this to check a box so that it's not my responsibility on defense anymore. And I think his rationale is, one, I'm not getting hurt. I don't like playing defense. But in terms of the game, he's like, look, we're up five with like three minutes left. I'm going to make enough free throws to win this game. Don't worry. Like, it's, it's not going to happen, which is a bad habit. Like, we can agree with that. That's, that's not how you should approach a basketball game. But it is the operating theory of this uh, of this Sixers team. So... Yeah, and I mean, it's funny. We are picking on Harden because he is kind of the poster boy for this bad defense, but there, there's bad defense from everybody. I, I 
Sure. And I, and I think Embiid is the big one. Like they, they just need Embiid to be awesome on the defensive end. And he clearly is taking a decent amount of nights off, yeah. like his rebounding and, and all those things. And you know what? If, if you tell he just, me like, he, can, he opted out of rebounding this year, he's just like, Hey, I'm taking, you know how Will had that year where like he was going to lead the league in assists. Joel's like, hey, I'm going to have this year where I'm not really going to rebound. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point, man. Uh, so can he flip the switch in the playoffs? I think that answer is definitely yes. Yeah, I'm, He's going I'm confident the in that. In the yep. It's the other guys and kind of the, the overall team buying in and, and being able to defend. And but, if Joe flips the switch, you probably have a, a league average to maybe slightly above average defense. Like if, if he is playing at a playoff level every night, which in the playoffs I have confidence he will, they will probably be a solid defense, but they will have enough exploitable players against the wrong matchups or like I said, we're at a point where we're grading them on being able to beat Boston, Milwaukee, Phoenix, and win the whole damn thing. Because right now when you have Embiid and Harden, and you have them operating at that level, and you have the possibility of Harden leaving, and of what that would do to the team, and, and how that would go about the rest of Embiid's prime. But what happens over the next couple of months could dictate what happens for the rest of Joel Embiid's prime in Philadelphia. And the stakes really could be that high. Um, like it will be if Harden walks and we, we talked about this a little bit on the last pod, but if Harden walks, it gets real hard to put a championship core around Joel Embiid winning at least in the conference finals. Maybe the finals could go a long way of making it tough for James Harden to walk away. So yeah, are we picking on their defense a little bit? Yeah, but that's in part because the stakes are so high and in part because the offense is so damn good. It would be a shame if that side of the court ended up ruining it and their defensive effort over the last couple of weeks has not been good enough. Yeah, I mean, they just had a five-game stretch where they were the best offense in the league by a mile, and they were the worst defense in the league yeah. by a mile. They're just playing these these goal fests the entire uh, the entire game. The uh, So if you were to look at the playoff picture, and there are 16 teams that are eventually going to make the playoffs after the play-in is settled, Sixers have maybe the first or second best offense, Maybe third, you know, but you Denver and Phoenix are the other teams in there. Let's let's call it second. Can they get to the seventh or eighth best defense out of that group? Because then I think you're playing coin flip games with a lot of teams. If if you're the second first top offense in the league, yeah. Can you get the average among playoff teams with the defense? Then I, I think you have a chance. And and especially with how you have executed late against Milwaukee. I just I I think they have a a decent chance, but uh, well, you 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 figure Milwaukee, Boston, Cleveland, better, uh, Memphis, better, Miami defensively, you would you would put ahead of them, I think pretty comfortably. I'm looking I guess at the list. I'm looking at the list right now. The Clippers when they're playing their full squad which happens so rarely it's tough to rate them. I know they're not a stout defense on the season, but when they dial it in, they might be able to. But yeah, you could you could get them into that six, seven, eight range. I think it's possible they can get there when Embiid is fully devoted. Golden State, if if they turn it on. Although their defense has been crappy all year. Phoenix too. Anyway, I am this is my way of saying, like, it's it's good. I mean, the, the Sixers have tried to win the other way for such a long time where they've tried to be the best defense and sure. win with an average offense, and that didn't work. So I, I like that they are trying something different now. 
I'm not sure if they're necessarily trying it or if that's just sort of how the cards fell. Uh, I'd say they're trying it a little bit. Like, I think they clearly tried to put um, role players who can shoot around Joe. There's not often you look up now and there's a player who can't shoot. Every now and then there's one who won't shoot in PJ. I guess Paul Reed when he's playing backup center minutes. That's fine. Outside of that, McDaniels can't shoot, but so far, I think he's found better ways to kind of work around that, I would say. You yeah. Know, I, yeah. I, I'm still skeptical of it. I wrote about him that I, you know, he's still shooting 30% on very low volume with the Sixers, but I don't know. I, I'd like to well, see Well, it's more higher than there. his dunk percentage at least. Yeah, he's shooting about 8% on highlight reel dunks. They, they don't go in. Yeah. Fun to watch, though. No, I would, I guess the way I would sort of close out this, this podcast, as much as I am concerned about the defense, I think their championship odds have gone up here over the last month. I just, what they're doing offensively, I buy into more than I did in November and December and January. Like I, I, what they're doing, I think is going to translate. And because of that, I think my playoff, if I'm forecasting the playoffs, I give them a better chance. And also like Boston stumbling helps. Now, the flip side of that is Milwaukee is not stumbling. But I think the their their chances in the playoffs have improved in my my eyes. Uh it would just it would be nice if they defended anyone in the perimeter. Five thirty eight has them with the fourth highest odds in the NBA at eleven percent, which Okay. Five thirty eight you know, has always loved them. Yeah, always. they don't love them as much this year. They love they love Milwaukee and, and Denver and Boston. A little bit more, you know. They love the, They love that uh, Horford team, which was yeah. Ridiculous. Well, and they love the 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 Jimmy Tobias team too. Well, that made a little more sense. That was a good team. Yeah, it was a good team. Horford team, not a good team. Yeah, I think that's about right. Maybe maybe it's a a smidge higher, but you know, that's got a swing. Yeah, they definitely do. They definitely do. And if it doesn't happen we will get to spend a couple months talking about james harden and his love of houston which will be houston. oh so fun state oh, so taxes fun. and gentlemen's clubs yeah all right what do we have here coming up we have the blazers on friday and then where did my mouse go it's wit whiz on sunday and yeah then and then Cavs. another three game road trip followed by a random Chicago game at home, followed by a four-game road trip. That Cavs game's pretty big. The Cavs schedule the rest of the way. I know there's a four-game difference, I believe, in the yeah. loss column right now. I expect that to tighten up. The Cavs schedule is cake. So I think one way of looking at it is if the Sixers win that game, it's also for the tiebreaker on the season because I believe they are one-to-one -one right now. If the Sixers win that game and they get five up with the tiebreaker, six up, okay. Congrats. You you were not getting passed by that team. But if it's the opposite, you know, it's it starts to get a little bit more interesting. And I, you know, I, I don't I could see the Sixers coughing that up and maybe not even playing that poorly. Like I think Cleveland's schedule is just a complete joke the rest now, of the Now to your game. point, Cleveland has the easiest strength strength of schedule left in the league. And, you know, when you look at Tankathon has their tough games up. Their tough games are the Sixers. And then it's like the Knicks, the Nets, the Heat, the Hawks. Like, all right, they're solid teams, but no teams that you're really that concerned about. And also, not only do they have a lot of easy games, but they just don't have that many games. The Sixers have three more games left to play. So the Sixers have a much more condensed schedule. They'll be playing those games with less rest. 
Uh, so yeah, that is a, and you know, the Sixers by contrast have the one more against the Bucks, one more against the Celtics, um, one more against, well, obviously the Cavs. They've just got another one against the Suns. Like they've just got some really tough games. So yeah, it is, uh, Sixers definitely have a tougher schedule. That will be a very big game for the, the, the seedings. And look, the Sixers are probably going to have to rest some guys. The The flip side of it is they win two-thirds of their games when Embiid and Harden don't play. So, yeah. And they, you they know, actually don't have the toughest strength of schedule. Now that they've gotten through that that road trip, uh, they do not have the toughest strength of schedule left anymore. They only have the fourth toughest, so they they can rest a little bit even more. And and look, hey, I'm not trying to sound the alarm to people too because I, I think this team has shown enough that playing tough teams is not going to be a complete disaster. They're not yeah. going to fall apart. Like they're, they're very competitive against these teams. I mean, this post all-star break stretch to go five and three is really, really impressive. Really impressive. I would have yeah. taken. And if you add in the, uh, you know, that, that game, that Cleveland game right before the, uh, for the break uh, to go six and three over that stretch is they're, they're playing consistent, good, consistently good basketball against really tough opponents uh, night in, night out. So yeah, I, I do not expect them to fall off the face of the earth, uh, I think they will probably hold on to the three seed if you had to ask me to uh, predict. But and, and look, they're only they're only one game behind Boston in the loss column for the two seed. The problem there is that if you just won one of those games, if you just yeah. won the Tatum game or more yep. specifically, if you just won the game where Blake Griffin killed you, where yeah. none of the Celtics starters were playing. Then you have like a, a legitimately interesting conversation because you're even in the loss column and the tiebreaker isn't goodbye. So they don't have that tiebreaker. So if I had to guess, they will be playing. Uh, they will be the three seed yeah. would be my guess. But yep. I we'll agree. See. And look, if they get Milwaukee in the second round, maybe that's the, the better matchup. You know, maybe Knicks Milwaukee is a better path than Miami Boston. You know, so I, I'm not really if you're the Sixers, I don't think you should be stressing out too much yeah. over the seeds. Just. Keep trying to win as many games as you can. I think they will still win at a pretty good clip here and just see where it all lands on the final day of the year. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.